uh, Hillary has been lengthening her excuses as to why uh, she lost the election. She didn't really lose the election. It was stolen from her uh, by, I think it's up to 24 different excuses she has now. Number 24 is content farms in Macedonia. And uh, as I said, uh, my grandfather was a uh, Macedonian content farmer. And uh, we often think about, you know, gathering on the porch and recalling the old days on the Macedonian con- I never thought, he never thought that the old content farmers he left behind in Macedonia would one day steal the U.S. presidential election. They are gnarled, hard-working Macedonian... The putative president. prime minister of Macedonia, whose name we shall not utter, has been tweeting furiously about Macedonia's Independence Day with precious little mention of the country celebrating independence. In the past week, he tweeted about the big celebration his government is holding in Skopje's Gradsky Park and all of the fun people will have there. He tweeted about hosting children from Kole Nedelkoski Primary School in Skopje at the government building to watch the raising of the flag and the playing of the national anthem of this nameless state. And he tweeted out a graphic of the, quote, colors of independence, unquote, again, of that nameless state. In fairness to him, he also tweeted out the following, quote, The Republic of Northern Macedonia gained its independence as the Republic of Macedonia on September 8, 1991, as a result of the responsibility and commitment of generations of citizens who fought for freedom and sovereignty. Their engagement is an inspiration to us today and to future generations, unquote. And here's our point. Macedonians did, indeed, vote for the independence of the Republic of Macedonia on September 8, 1991, and the government honored the consent of the governed, a hallmark of any democracy, by recognizing that vote. But 27 years later, on September 30, 2018, the Macedonians told the government in no uncertain terms that the name of the Republic of Macedonia shall not be changed. And yet the government ignored the consent of the governed and, using bribes, threats, arrests, and general intimidation, overturn the will of the people in the chambers of the parliament, whose legal role is to be representative of the people. And they in turn voted to change the name despite having no authority to do so. This leads us to the oft-told story about one of America's founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. Upon leaving the Constitutional Convention in 1787, a certain Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia asked Franklin, Well, doctor, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? Whereupon the old Dr. Sagey replied, Republic, if you can keep it. We'll discuss all of this and little else on this special Independence Day episode of the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. I'm Jason Miko, coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona. And this is Svetan Sulimanov calling in from Skopje, the Republic of Macedonia. Amen to the Republic of Macedonia and a happy Independence Day for the Republic of Macedonia to you, Svetan, and to your family and to our listeners. Thank you. It's a, it's a very important holiday to appreciate uh, at times like this. We didn't, uh, I suppose we didn't appreciate it uh, as much when uh, the country was uh, not directly under threat as it is now, especially its sovereignty and independence. But now you, you really, Indeed. once you lose it, uh, you really uh, get an, an idea of what you have lost and what you have to yeah. try to preserve. Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a good point. And, you know, and last year, so it was a year ago today that I was in Macedonia. I think I arrived on, on the evening, late evening of the 7th. So I was there for the 8th and uh, spoke, to, uh, spoke to an audience, uh, one of the rallies in front of the parliament building and, and you know, said, is that the last time that we are celebrating the independence of the, Re- the Republic of Macedonia? Um, well, obviously, most thinking people and most Macedonians are always going to celebrate the independence of the Republic of Macedonia, no matter what this current government says or does. And as I have written and talked about, as you have written and talked about, I think we're both agreed that eventually at some point, this whole thing is going to be overturned. It's going to be through incrementalism and time. But, but let's start, why not, with, with uh, Dr. Frank, the, the question posed to Dr. Franklin uh, regarding the founding of the, uh, the American states. And is, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? It seems today, Svetin, that that Macedonia, which is a quote-unquote republic, is actually indeed a monarchy because all of the hallmarks of a, a small-l liberal democracy, a representative republic, which is the consent of the governed, free speech, uh, free and independent media, uh, judiciary that is not controlled by the legislative or the executive power, 
uh, freedom from arrest, intimidation, etc. All of these things, which are hallmarks of democracy, seem to be under threat by uh, the monarch Zoranzaev. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the way they're operating, there's obviously no constraint on the uh, executive, on the government, uh, especially in the judiciary, where uh, we really have something like uh, the king's law from uh, past times. Whoever the king says is uh, guilty or innocent, uh, even the king himself, who had to uh, request clemency or pardons from the previous king, Branko Cervinkovsky, once, and then uh, from uh, afterwards from the judges he was appointed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, in this regard, we, we are far away from a, a limited, uh, restrained uh, executive uh, in this country. Yeah, and, and again, you know, that's you know, going, I didn't mention that, but I'm glad you mentioned the word limited, because limited government, um, and that is a hallmark of any uh, democracy. And it, it seems that this current government of Macedonia just seems to be um, all-encompassing and, and gathering or attempting to gather more and more powers uh, whether it is control of the judiciary, as you were talking about there. And, of course, we don't want to talk too much about the current mm. scandal because there's so many little details going on there, and it's just ongoing and whatnot, and uh, it, it threatens um, you know, so many different aspects of life in Macedonia. But, but yes, uh, limited government. And the current government of Macedonia under uh, Zoran Zaev is not limited in, in scope or power or anything else, and it just seems to be gobbling up yeah. as much power and, as it uh, can. Actually, if you go back, if you're looking for a model, we haven't had a king for uh, uh, more than 100 years after we foolishly expelled the sultan. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's all been... It's, yeah, all is forgiven. It's all been downhill since then. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking for a totalitarian model here, it's uh, the communist-style uh, police state, which we're uh, seeing here uh, reimagined uh, in, in a grotesque, uh, maybe comical uh, reincarnation, but still it has a lot of the all the usual elements uh, of totalitarianism uh, uh, and of course I mean the left would say that uh, Gruevsky was also an autocratic leader but I mean it's just incomparable uh, the number of opposition leaders which are arrested uh, the officials who are arrested uh, uh, the number of journalists who are targeted threatened uh, uh, I mean it's uh, this uh, we're not going to talk about the scandal, but the essence of it is that there was practically there practically wasn't a business small enough which you couldn't uh, blackmail and you couldn't extort money from, because Boki would go after the biggest guys, but there were smaller, lower-level businessmen who they would uh, extort 10, 20, 50 thousand euros from. So uh, nothing like this was uh, uh, imaginable under under Gruevsky. So. Uh, not, not to mention the, I mean, kings would rename cities, would rename the months of the year after themselves. Uh, Central Asian sultans would do that. I mean, uh, even now, pre presidents in Central Asia. Uh, the, total, the level of totalitarianism required to rename the entire country. And then, uh, you know, oftentimes U.S. diplomats like Phil Ricker would mm -hmm. tell us, yeah, but it's just... Uh, uh, just the name and then you would uh, join the EU and NATO and then from this position you would be able to reverse it but now we see that uh, this also includes uh, a rewriting of the history books now it's very difficult yes. you really have to go pretty well back into history or pretty far east into Central Asia to find a, a president who would uh, uh, require the, who would have the power to order the schools to rewrite the history books I mean, that's, well, yeah. I mean, that, that's the essence of totalitarianism. It's not autocratic. It's not necessarily violent, although there is a lot of violence involved in this. Uh, the totalitarianism means that everything is uh, managed by the state. Everything depends on, on the state. Nothing is outside of the state. And uh, this is what we have now. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. And you bring up the changing of history, as we've talked about in the past, the changing how Greece and Bulgaria are basically demanding that Macedonia uh, school books, uh, curriculum, maps, atlases, teaching guides, all of that be changed in accordance with Greek and Bulgarian view of history. And you've got committees, you know, that are working to do this. And, and I'm reminded of the quote I think I had on the uh, podcast last week from Nikola Dimitrov when he was the uh, ambassador to the United States. Uh, this is in 2002, and he basically said that history should be left to the historians, not to the politicians. And yet, here he is now in the government as foreign minister, actively working with other politicians to change history. Uh, 
And then you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, how the kings would change the names of, of months and streets and cities, things like that. This, that goes back to the French Revolution of 1789, of course, where the Jacobins and Robespierre and his crew, uh, all they, 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 not only did they change the names of the months and, and things like that, but they also started with a brand new calendar. That, that was year zero for them. Um, I don't think they changed the name of the state then. But it's interesting, to, to, and, you know, this is going back a little bit. We like to talk about uh, Edmund Burke. Uh, and uh, how he warned against the French Revolution, whereas a, a number of uh, folks here in America, including Thomas Jefferson, uh, our third president, were very much in favor of the French Revolution. But Burke saw what was coming. He, he knew that the Jacobins and those that were wanted to tear down the state, they didn't like the king, they didn't like the past, etc. And so they not and, and there were abuses from the king and, and, and the, uh, his class, the ruling class, etc. But they tore everything down. They tore down the past. They tore down history. And they wanted to start from scratch. And you cannot do that. Every country, every people, every society throughout all of time have had good and bad in the past. And you can't just wipe it all out and start over. That's, that's insane. Uh, and, and you don't learn that way because there's things to be learned from the past. And this is, I think to your point, what Zayev is doing. He is, trying, he is trying to eliminate the entire past of Macedonia by wiping it out, and his whole goal, and not just Zayev, but the people in his government and others in Macedonia, they think that NATO and EU membership is the end-all be-all, and that that is infinitely more important than the past, than history, than culture, than heritage, than the name. And I can't quite get my head wrapped around why they think these things. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, and it's NATO not just will that. not. Uh, we see countries trying to leave the European Union. Uh, uh, we see countries within NATO mm. who are fighting each other, going to war with each other, like uh, Turkey and uh, Greece, but also having uh, pretty significant uh, internal uh, conflicts, like uh, Turkey or uh, secessionist movements, like uh, Spain, the United Kingdom, etc. So uh, certainly, it was not the case that during. Uh, the Cold War, that the NATO countries would support each other in, let's say, the, the colonial fights. Uh, often they would fight each other, even though they were nominally on the same team in NATO. And, you know, joining you in, in NATO will do nothing for the uh, huge historical moment which uh, the Albanians believe they're in right now with the, their expansionist nationalism. Or, uh, you know, these two new problems which we just kicked off, or uh, uh, these... The problems were there, but we are making them worse uh, precipitously in the past uh, several years with uh, the, the Bulgarian and the Greek requests uh, toward Macedonian history, which will inevitably mm -hmm. lead to territorial claims by, by Bulgaria or uh, uh, Greece trying to implement its old plan that, to have the, the Macedonia partition. So uh, we are actively making matters worse in a way that... Uh, it's very unlikely that NATO will help us. I mean, the two major uh, security crises we had, 2001 and 2015, the Kosovo attack, they were both, uh, the Kumanov attack, they were both coming from Kosovo, which is NATO protectorate, and literally the armed groups mm -hmm. were crossing the border under the nose of the largest American military base in the region, and uh, nothing changed. So what are we to believe that when we are in NATO, and this was why we were NATO allies, If we will be in NATO, but... Are we going to order the Americans to stop allowing Albanian terrorists to cross the border while Zayev is uh, daily going to have uh, to, to meet Ramush Haradinaj in Kosovo? I mean, it's not going to change. We, we are giving ourselves up to uh, something which is precisely the opposite of being an independent country. We are <laughs> uh, quickly turning ourselves into a dependence to anybody and everybody around us and... Uh, no amount of EU and NATO membership would help us there. Well, yes, and and you bring up a good point there. Um, and it's not just I don't it's yeah. not just Macedonia. So let's let's kind of take a step back here, look at it from a thirty thousand foot, ten thousand meter perspective. And this issue of sovereignty, and you mentioned Brexit there, uh, and the UK is is divided. Although fifty two percent to forty eight percent voted to leave in two thousand sixteen, uh, and Brexit means Brexit according mm -hmm. to Theresa May, the, the, the former PM. And yet, the European Union and certain Remainers in the UK are doing everything in their power 
to thwart the will of the people, the consent of the governed. And, and, and all in the name, well, of course, the EU is doing this because they fear that if the UK is allowed to leave, then this will encourage others to leave and their whole precious little project will come crashing down. And that's a very real possibility. And they have legitimate fears there. But it's because the, the, the European Union is, be, is becoming an increasingly authoritarian, I might even say totalitarian institution. This idea of pool sovereignty, ever closer union, more Europe, etc., where they are taking away powers from the individual sovereign states, the parliaments of the individual sovereign states. Um, Charlie Cook over at uh, National Review makes a very good point about this. And he's an American citizen, but he's British. So he grew up uh, in the UK, and obviously he follows the, you know, the situation over there very closely. And he makes the point that a parliament, any parliament, has temporary and loaned powers. They are loaned to the parliament from the people. And that means, in turn, that a parliament, any parliament, cannot then turn around and loan those powers to another parliament or another authority, which is exactly what the European Union is doing. So the government, let's just take the, the let's take France, for instance. Um, France has an elected um, parliament. I think it's the parliament? Grand National Assembly or something like that. <laughs> okay. So let's say the Assembly of the Parliament in, in France... Uh, is elected by the people. The, the people have loaned power temporarily to the, the, their elected representatives, and, and they, in turn, are turning around and giving that to unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats in Brussels. You cannot do that, which is why I think the, the, the Brits, especially, have seen they're tired of this, and they want to take their sovereignty back. And this is something, you know, we've talked about. I'm reading more about it. I'm actually working on a kind of this longish paper, I think, is what's going to come out of it based on things that the Polish uh, MEP, uh, Rizard Legutko, uh, John uh, uh, Merschmeyer of, um, I think, Hoover or Stanford, um, others have written about how democ liberal democracy, small l liberal democracy, we're, we're classical liberals, is, is, has a tendency to move towards a form of benign authoritarianism. And it, and it has a lot, and this is something that Legutko writes about in The Demon of Democracy, how more and more... Um, liberal democracy has, is, is, has more and more in common with Soviet communism and totalitarianism. And they're both, they're, they're both universalist in their outlook. They are, it's both an, both are an ideology of there's only one way, their way, and any dissent must be crushed, which, of course, is the opposite of, of, a, of what a liberal democracy is. Um, and I think part of it, and I'm kind of on a rant here right now, I think part of it is that and this is something that the Irish author Oz Guinness talks quite a bit about in, in that, in what we talked about earlier, limits. There have to be limits. There have to be boundaries. There have to be rules in, a, in, our, in our families, in our personal lives, in our families, in, in, the, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our states. If you have no limits, then everything is, is up for grabs. And, and that is what, within liberal democracy... That is, that is one vein that is moving towards that, and that's, that's the, the, the vein that's going towards this benign authoritarianism, which refuses to impose any limits on itself or its appetite, uh, and is, is moving towards, to Legutko's point, is moving towards more and more um, authoritarianism and, and communism. I think our friend Rod Brer writes about this as well, the American conservative. Uh, and so that, I think, kind of is really, you know, we talk about at the beginning the monarchy versus a republic, uh, monarchy obviously is a form of authoritarianism, totalitarianism, um, and yet that is where this whole project called small l liberal democracy seems to be moving in the West today, and that yeah. is not a good thing. Uh, and right now I need to I need oh, to refill my glasses. My, my, my glass is still full, so I can uh, pick up. I, I never realized. Ah, well. uh, I mean, I, I keep I, I remain uh, bitter and angry over uh, the the. Acquisition of the word liberal by the left, and uh, I'm not sure what they want to say yes. by liberal democracy. I have to get to, to the Google machine sometime and try to fish out the first time they started using this word because it's relatively recent. It was just democracy before. We would say pluralism as opposed to one party rule we had here, uh, yeah. but then we just adopted democracy, and that's uh, we never had to qualify it by liberal. Uh, liberalism normally means uh, openness to change as opposed to conservatism. But historically, it was 
right. uh, the situation of the society has moved in some direction, and then the government, the state, the uh, administ administrative apparatus needs to accommodate to the change which already happened. We are not seeing this right now. We are seeing a situation where the administrative apparatus is driving the change. It's not like they are the conservative uh, element uh, in society. In fact, uh, society has not moved toward uh, population replacement, has not moved toward uh, mm. uh, phasing out fossil fuels. People like their fossil fuels. Thank you very much. We have. <laughs> if you like your fossil fuels, you can keep your fossil, they fossil fuels. They haven't moved toward uh, redefining marriage, at least not universally. It's usually the, the courts in the US, it's the bureaucracy in the European Union, which has to drive these things, often to the opposition of the people. And, uh, and then, you know, we're down to the other definition of liberal right now, which is this unfortunate situation where the left in the US has adopted the word liberal because progressivism has been tainted by a lot of uh, abuse and violence and carnage and, and death around the world, not to mention socialism and communism. So they have to, they're always looking for a new word mm -hmm. as soon as the, the old word they were, they were using is tainted, and, uh, which happens often. And now they've opted uh, on mm -hmm. liberalism, forcing us, the actual liberals, to adopt uh, libertarianism in some uh, situations. But... Uh, so now, yeah, it's uh, liberalism as the U.S. left, and uh, the word liberalism understood as the word for yeah. the U.S. left. Liberal democracy would now mean left-wing democracy. Right, yeah, well, that's, you know, the whole redefinition of language, uh, whichever language, English or, or, or others, is, is something that we, we see is an increasingly, uh, it's increasingly a battlefront every day. Uh, and so, um, it's, and, it, and it's, it's funny, our, our friends down in Oz in Australia the conservative yeah, yeah. party is the liberal party, uh, you know, and you see that in other places as well. But yeah, so and you know, and I, I tell people that I'm a classical liberal. If they don't understand that, I tell them I'm yeah. a Reagan Republican. Um, that that seems to be easily understood. Uh, but one thing, I'm, and I I want to go back to the Brexit thing for a moment and, and talk about something. I, I watched a um, a uh, listened to actually a podcast uh, the other day between um, our friend uh -huh. Luke Coffey from the Heritage Foundation, uh, who spent some time in England working with Dr. Liam Fox yep. when he was the defense minister, uh, and uh, Amanda uh -huh. Slot, I'm yeah. not sure how you pronounce her name, Brookings. Um, a lot of Macedonians know that name, Amanda yep. Slot, Slot, and she, uh, suspect that she was part of the whole so-called PRESPA agreement. Uh, but it's interesting that the two of them were debating Brexit. Um, and it was an interesting uh, conversation and whatnot. And the, the hard part that I had with listening to was I just wished Amanda would come out and say, look, I'm yep. anti-sovereignist, I'm anti-nation state. Uh, but she wouldn't. She couched it in so many terms and whatnot. And I have, and I'm going to, you know, this is a public admission. I have a real hard time not attributing evil yeah. motives <laughs> to our friends sure, on the sure, other side sure. who are anti-sovereignty. Um, and look, we're all fallen individuals. We're all part of the crooked timber of humanity, as Kant said. We're all sinners. Uh, and, and bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things. Um, but our friends on that side who are essentially anti-sovereignist, I think, you know, whether or not they have evil motives or not, I don't know. But I do know one thing, Sven. They are addicted to their, their, their cushy uh, jobs that they have in the think tanks, in academia, in the media, in non-elected positions in government, and they're addicted to the international first-class travel, the fancy hotels, the movable feast that is their daily lives where they can listen to the sound of their voice uh, in a bubble, and uh, they're a mutual admiration society where they, you know, go from one movable feast to the other. Carl Biltz, of course, the former prime minister of Sweden, is the poster boy for this because he's always tweeting out a picture yeah, from the tarmac yeah. of some airport where he's about ready to get on a jumbo jet to fly to some other exotic location where he can lecture the little people and mutually reinforce his ideas and thoughts with people that are like-minded. And, and I think that's where the whole, that's, that's, that's their whole class, is that they're all in this bubble, um, kind of like what the former uh, uh, advisor to President Obama, Ben Rhodes, talks a lot about, uh, who admitted it, actually. Um, and so they're not necessarily evil, and I've, I've got to be careful about that, but they are addicted to this... Nice life. Yeah, we all have our faults, but at least on our side, uh, the operating principle is that you get into other people's hair as little as possible. Whereas on their side, it's they want to run everything right. and control everything. Uh, I mean, the, the best 
the, le the least you can do, or you know, the, the best you can do, maybe, uh, once you realize that you're fallen and uh, uh, mm -hmm. prone to abuse, etc., is to try to run as little things uh, as possible when you're in position of, of authority. This is the principle of conservatism or actual classical liberalism. Whereas the left, they want to run right. more and more things, no matter the fact that whatever they touch is the reverse Midas touch. It uh, doesn't actually turn into gold. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I tagged her like a few <laughs> days ago, slow, you, you just reminded me, I was just checking out the tweet here. She had a, a list oh. of tweets about the, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, what's happening there, fine. And then in the end she says, but none of this addresses the fundamental question of winter Brexit. I mean, how, how do we get rid of Brexit? I mean, they actually voted in a referendum, and you you want to wow. do away with it. Uh, just as in Macedonia, we we refused to vote in the referendum quite clearly, and still she wrote this uh, press treaty, and uh, they still impose it on us despite the fact that uh, we were clearly opposed to it. And uh, you know, my comment was, you don't like, you really like undermining referendums, don't you? You have something against, because at this point, you know, we win elections like in the U.S or uh, now in Italy, and then uh, we see them, or our side broadly defined, and we see them taken, the, the outcome taken away from us uh, through the administrative state, which in the US is in open warfare against the, the, elected, uh, uh, the, the elected president and, uh, and Congress. The president, uh, And, yep. um, mm -hmm. you know, in Italy we see that... Uh, you know, a guy who is popular like all other parties combined, he's now being cheated away from uh, away of uh, uh, the prime ministership, uh, which, you know, if you hold elections would absolutely, uh, you know, he would win it in a landslide. So uh, this is the tool we have right now, the, the referendum. And uh, you can just see that uh, this illiberal, this actually illiberal elite uh, which has appropriated the, this word, this honorable word, is uh, so livid at the idea of holding referendums. And it's going to end so badly because, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, they, uh, they realize that the native populations of uh, Europe, the United States, no longer vote for them. This is, uh, this is where it all, what it all comes down to with the, uh, the drop of support uh, uh, for uh, the socialist part, social democratic parties, the democratic party in the U.S., uh, etc., and this is why they are uh, reaching out for this type of uh, of tools for uh, using the administrative state, the, the courts, the judiciary, and uh, mm -hmm. buying time until they are, especially in Europe, able to uh, open the borders and uh, bring in the required number of immigrants who would vote for them. They they figure that. The left figures that immigrants vote for them in sufficient numbers in, in uh, because because sure. of the generous welfare state. and uh, cultural. I mean, even if they're culturally conservative, uh, they would still. Uh, I mean, it's it's weird. We have to go into into this deeper sometime. Why the culturally conservative immigrants, especially Muslims in Europe, uh, or yeah, Latinos in the U.S., vote for the for the liberals. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, I. My, my gut feeling is that they like seeing the uh, liberal policies applied to the native population because essentially it uh, reduces the, the numbers and it elevates the position of the, of the immigrants. I mean, why wouldn't you be for, for uh, yeah. abortion? Because you figure that you would stop your own tribe, your own people in, uh, you know, your, your own immigrant community from... Uh, uh, you know, the, the women there from uh, having abortions, while on the other hand you say, well, why, why wouldn't, why would they be opposed to the natives having, uh, uh, you know, to the French, the Germans, the Italians having more abortions, mm -hmm. more, uh, I'm in this obviously to, uh, to do what every civilization, every culture, every people from the dawn of time have done, expand my, my own uh, seed, expand my own family. And he, here I have... Countries which are, have perfect infrastructure, everything is pre-built, uh, and obviously the native populations are in withdrawal. Why wouldn't I come here and uh, expand? What, uh, and uh, liberal policies, if applied toward the native population, 
especially in the left-wing approach toward family values, it's uh, their perfect fit with a with a conservative immigrant population which wants to, uh, you know, expand essentially. You bring up some very good points there, and again, you you, you call it the administrative state. We've heard others call it the deep state. I think James Buchanan wrote about the managerial state, uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it is that class that we talked about earlier of unelected, um, unaccountable, uh, in in and politicians who actually are elected. Uh, but you know whether whether it's the uh, the, the media, think tanks, uh, academia, uh, bureaucrats, etc., that are all very protective of their lifestyle, uh, and they want power. Um, and you mentioned the uh, the immigrant issue uh, of illegal immigrants coming into Europe, coming into America, and how this administrative state, managerial class, welcomes them because they see them as potential voters in the future. And that's exactly what they are. And you mentioned that it's all going to end very badly, and it will. Uh, because whereas these these uh, progressive uh, liberals, Big L, uh, sit in their, in their nice, fancy um, uh, offices, etc., and welcome the... Um, Folks coming in and then signing them up to be voters, etc. At some point, these these this progressive big L liberal class is going to be thrown out one way or the other um, by those that they are welcoming in one way or the other. Uh, and so, yes, I do think it's all going to end very badly. Plus, of course, the, the whole diluting of a nation's um, culture. Uh, and this is the late. Samuel Huntington talked a lot about this uh, the class of, in his book, The Class of Civilizations, how you, you've got to have some sort of agreement in a society, in a state, and some continuity in, in, in the religion, in the culture, in the language, etc. Otherwise, the, the, the whole thing is going to come undone. Yeah, in the, in the, sorry, in the UK and, and in Italy, the, the referendum okay. uh, in the UK, it came at the height of the migrant crisis. And it was clearly, like it or not, a vote to end the open border regime with the European Union. The Brits saw that the EU is not serious about uh, managing its own borders, uh, on top of disliking being uh, joined in, in a uh, open borders regime with the rest of uh, the European Union, with Eastern Europe, etc. Now they're obviously unserious about policing their borders with uh, the Middle East and North Africa and, and Central Asia and wherever. And they voted to Brexit. And I'm absolutely sure that the referendum would have failed if it weren't held in the height of the migrant crisis. And, you know, you could say it's cheating on our side, uh, but then, um, you know, it revealed a very fundamental problem of the European Union. And uh, if not now, it would have bubbled up later. So. Uh, if not in 2016, we have shown up later. So they had absolutely every right to vote in this direction. So did the um, Italians, which uh, they, they saw ships uh, disembarking every other day from uh, Libya, and they said basta. And uh, they're still seeing basta, <laughs> but uh, their managerial elite, uh, deep state, gladio, whatever you want to call it, uh, they decided, no, your vote doesn't count. And this is an exceptional, extremely fundamental issue to be playing with. The people couldn't have been clearer, in Italy especially. Uh, and uh, mm. you want to stick a, a finger in their faces. I mean, I'm not only saying this because, you know, Italy was heavily involved in the Macedonian political crisis uh, through Matteo Renzi and his diplomats here. They were openly cheerleading for Zayef and allegedly helping him with all the uh, dirty deep state... Uh, machinations he was doing with the wiretaps, but, uh, you know, uh, the Italians are not going to stand for this. Uh, the Brits are not going to what, what would it look like after they voted in a referendum if a plane load after plane load of Eastern Europeans and a boat after boat of uh, migrants from Calais keep coming into the United Kingdom and they still haven't Brexited uh, like five years after the referendum. How would these people respond? I mean, not, not it won't be won't be pretty. It can't. It can't be pretty. It's, uh, uh, pretty is not an option here. A good outcome is not an option mm -hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Um, you you bring up the migrants uh, in Italy and whatnot. And I know that that Greece has had a real influx, especially in the islands, in the past week, two weeks. Uh, I think the other day, uh, one of the islands, I can't remember which one, had 
over 500 uh, immigrants come in in one day, which is the largest in yeah, it's Elizabeth. a year and a half, something like that. Okay, yeah, and and they're not, you know, that's it's becoming an issue again, um, and I'm not sure how they're going to deal with it. I'm not sure how the European Union is going to deal with it. I'm not sure how Zoran Zayev and his government are, are going to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, we're going to have to deal with it because the new prime minister promised the Lesbodians, I don't want to say that, the... The, 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 word, <laughs> the derivative of their yeah okay fine yes uh, the, the, the Greeks on that island of, uh, islanders of Lesbos that he's going to yes. uh, reduce the overcrowding in their migrant camp and what he can do is put everybody on a boat and sail them to uh, Solon to Salonika and then obviously within five days they'll be in Germany through Macedonia and he promised this and he apparently took ten thousand of them after the, 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 the first wave of, of boats came. And obviously, as soon as word spread in Turkey that in the migrants who are waiting there, that uh, the ships are sailing again from Lesbos to Piraeus in Athens and to Salonika, obviously a new crowd came of several thousand, because once the route is opened, many, many more will come. And uh, this is his dilemma right now. I don't really envy him. Well, let's let's bring it back to uh, to Macedonia since we are doing this uh, special episode, episode forty of the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast on Independence Day. Um, I just had to take a break to get some more ice for my mastica, and I am pouring myself another mastica. So I'm going to have more mastica tomorrow mm. too. So this is a a friend of mine earlier this summer brought me a full bottle of Grozd, uh mm-hmm. one liter, which is very kind of him, and. Some mastica from, uh, I think it's from the Bigorsky Monastery. Very special. That's, that's a good friend. <laughs> which is, yes, uh, and it's in the fridge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some of that tomorrow. Right now, I'm drinking grosh. But yeah, we want to bring it back to uh, Independence Day in Macedonia. Twenty, let's say, twenty-eight years as the Republic of Macedonia. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the monologue that uh, the Prime Minister is holding a big wingding at the Kratsky uh, Park in uh, Skopje tomorrow. Uh, at the at what what's that that white uh, uh, bandstand called? Uh, yeah, the Skolka, the shell. Yeah. That that's the place where people right. were painting uh, the start of Kutler show uh, throughout the past <laughs> several weeks. <laughs> yes. Uh, any other uh, Independence Day celebrations? Go, alternative Independence Day celebrations going on in uh, Skopje? Uh, well, uh, or actually, we should say, or today. I don't know if this is actually going to drop today or tomorrow. Yes. But, uh, let's just say any more other celebrations. There's going, going to on. be uh, like a lot of protests apparently in Australia. Uh, the, peop- the people there are not going to take this, and uh, they are planning to uh, gather in front of the embassy in uh, Canberra, apparently, yeah. and elsewhere. Uh, the thing at the Skolka, it's, it's going to be a sorry affair. I mean, I've gone through the the program. <laughs> um, they're dragging out some singers who would still. Uh, dare show up for the event after what Tamara has been trying. Apparently, Tamara is planning to leave the country and move back to Serbia with her sister uh, after the reception oh. she had uh, when she butchered the Macedonian national anthem at the U.S. Embassy, uh, 4th uh, of July thing. They're having, you know, an older singer sing this time, even if she loses her career, <laughs> she doesn't really care much. And uh, some, obviously, some international stuff. You. Um, Noticed the uh, they, they omitted the word Macedonia from all the pro- promotional material. They're all, all only saying our country, the country, the state, the republic. They like using the republic now because they think it sounds uh, like distinguished, but it's actually just a cop out to avoid using the the word Macedonia. They are, they drew a map of mm. Macedonia like a mosaic, which is again something which. Uh, uh, on the left side, we've seen a lot of here uh, a pluribus, as you would say in, in the United States, out of the many mm-hmm. communities we have. But they 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 don't really say the one. It's it stops short of <laughs> of saying the one. So it's uh, they're gonna do some NGO stuff like uh, uh, battery recycling and uh, uh, environmental things or. Uh, Horse uh, or sorry, do- dog tra- train dogs jumping through hoops or whatnot. Uh, traditional food from our country, not from Macedonia. So it's all bland, all washed out. Uh, I mean, nothing to be proud about, nothing to 
to to inspire you uh, i mean i have very difficulty very much difficulty imagining who would uh, go fight and you know god forbid die for this country a country which presents itself in this fashion it's most important holiday after uh Ilinden. yeah well i i i i i think actually i know that the majority of macedonians in macedonia and in Macedonian, in the regions of Macedonia, in the Balkans and around the world, will be celebrating the independence of the Republic of Macedonia uh, tomorrow, and looking forward to a time when the people can rightly take back the name which they voted for uh, on September 8, 1991, and that will happen. I'm I'm convinced of that, and I think that's the good news in this, and and I think um, kind of as we as we get down to. Uh, Closing out this podcast, I want to I want to focus on that and 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 I'm I'm hoping I'm, I'm I know frankly that there are people in Macedonia and outside of Macedonia that are trying to figure out okay how are we gonna once once we get rid of the Zoranzayev government how are we gonna restore the rightful name of Macedonia to the Macedonians and I don't know how it's gonna happen. There's people far <laughs> above my pay grade uh, that have uh, they have doctorates and things like that that can figure this out. Uh, my role, as I see it, as an outsider, but as an adopted Macedonian, is to simply give encouragement and hope to Macedonians uh, in Macedonia and throughout the world. Um, and and I'm looking forward to that when I can come back to Macedonia on September 8 in the future and celebrate and have the government celebrate Independence Day of the Republic of Macedonia. And I know that's going to happen. It's just a question. Yes, of it's bound to happen. I mean, it's all this type of pressure. It will, it will inevitably have a reaction. Uh, I mean, this is complete. This is absolutely unseemly to have people who uh, can go to the toilet without asking an embassy for approval uh, beforehand, celebrating the word independence. It's uh, a complete uh, uh, contradiction in terms. I mean, there is nothing independent about the people who are organizing this, doing this, and uh, they're just going through the motions. I mean, I- I'm sure they would much rather just forget about the whole thing and wait for, I don't know, Throw another party for either, either uh, if we open EU accession talks or uh, if if we join NATO or something like that. I mean, this is completely in contradiction with everything we've they've been working. I mean, obviously the left in Macedonia was not very much in tune with uh, the independence to begin with. I mean, they famously uh, right would uh, the Speaker of Parliament famously wouldn't sign the declaration, so they had to find the Vimera. Uh, deputy Speaker of Parliament to sign it. Uh, it was difficult to rally, to muster all the lefties uh, uh, to show up at the celebration on the town square, even after the uh, the, the vote on the refer- on the day of uh, of the referendum. And uh, not to mention that uh, obviously the referendum was for the Republic of Macedonia, not North Macedonia. Uh, but do you remember it was uh, this uh, mixed question? You do you want to? declare independence or do you, uh, with the option to uh, rejoin the other Yugoslav republics. So it was a cop-out question to begin with. And this was also then to placate the left, who was uh, never mm-hmm. from the beginning, you know, you know the, the large outcome, the large turnout at the, the referendum, uh, minus the Albanians who boycotted the referendum because they wanted us to remain mm-hmm. in the same state with Kosovo, uh, Albanians to decide. Uh, the large turnout masked the fact that the question headed both ways. Do you want to declare independence? But with the option of rejoining, obviously, Serbia in a future uh, federation. So uh, it's uh, you know, difficult for me to acknowledge, but uh, we need to be looking uh, uh, things straight in the eye. And uh, the left was never... Uh, dedicated to the idea of an independent Macedonia. That's so, that's a fact. So, so they were they were calling themselves quote unquote global citizens. Yeah, way they back were Yugoslav before that. They were, uh, yeah, they, they were. They would say that nationalism is a foregone concept and that we are socialists first, Yugoslavs. Um, yeah, well, it's as, as we've talked about in the past, and I know we'll talk about in the future. The the future belongs to the nation-state, uh, not to some amorphous global government or anything like that. Um, 
and you know Macedonia is an independent nation state. It should be an independent nation state, a sovereign independent nation state. That's what the people mm. voted for. That's what the people want. Uh, and yet that's under attack. But I guess you know it's under attack mm. everywhere throughout the West. We have it's not yeah, just sure. Macedonia, and we have these folks that that are that are attempting to undermine the sovereignty of each and every single nation state, especially in the West. And 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 that's just you know as Ronald Reagan said um, you know each generation basically has to continue to fight for the liberty and the freedom and the independence that that generation has to pass it on to the next generation. Uh, it can't be taken for granted, and that's it. Just takes a lot of work, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be difficult, but again, there are uh, nations in our region, in our vicinity, which haven't given up on this idea. Uh, as you know, this was painfully obvious from the previous uh, 30 years in, of Balkan history, and uh, it's just plain dangerous to be uh, giving up this, giving up uh, uh, thinking that you can, uh, like somebody said, uh, you might not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. <laughs> in this case, <laughs> I think it was that that was yeah, Trotsky, I, I think. <laughs> So, in a paraphrase yeah. of Trotsky. I mean, so. in this case, yeah. we might not yeah. be interested in a nation state, but then other nation states will be interested for our territory. I mean, I've been pretty bleak throughout this uh, yeah. podcast, but uh, this is not just fancy words. This is not just, uh, uh, you know, going through the motions of a, a secularized national celebration to, uh, today. It's, uh, there is a very good yeah. reason why we wanted to declare independence, so we, we would be able to live in peace and uh, stability. We, I mean, the Macedonians, uh, and determine sure. your own way. And we are uh, furiously hacking at the pillars which hold this edifice together, and it's uh, exceptionally dangerous to yeah. be doing that. Yeah. Well, liberty is always an unfinished business. It's always something that has to be worked at. You can never just sit on your rest on your laurels and take it for granted. That doesn't mean that you're 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 constantly fighting twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, fifty two weeks a year. Uh, but it, it's, it's something that requires vigilance, uh, not just in Macedonia, but here in the United States of America and in every other nation state there is, especially in the small little liberal democracies of the world. So, um, and with that, I think, um, we kind of bring it to a close. Uh, we don't have farmer's picks this time, uh, but, uh, uh, yes, this just recently dropped. We are recording this on, uh on the 7th, uh, the day before Independence Day, and uh, uh, the heroic uh, Igor Durlovsky, the opera singer who was tri tried by Zorin ah, yes. as a terrorist. And, uh, and even Zayev's favorite uh, judge wouldn't dare sentence him. Uh, he was released, he, he refused the amnesty and became the absolute hero of the past several years. Uh, and Andriana Yanovsk, another solid uh, singer, uh, her heart is also in the right place. They uh, re-sang uh, an old song by uh, Pipi Baftirovsky about Macedonia, which uh, makes, especially at this point, they can deny you my country as much as they want, but uh, you're still here. Uh, Zavetna is the name of the song, uh, difficult to translate in English. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this would be the best uh, way to close the, the podcast, I believe. Great. Well, uh, I'm glad you brought that up and we'll let our listeners uh, enjoy that. Uh, happy Independence Day to you, Svetlana, and your family uh, as the Republic of Macedonia and to all our listeners. Thank you, and I hope we, we, we earn it. Indeed. Take care. Thank you. Negde ke te so kriat, grob so groba ke pokriat. Samo ti si besmrtna, živa voda podzemna, kaj što to nešti izviraš. Samo ti si Živa voda podzemna, kaj što to nešti izviraš. Vekovi, vekovi, zajedno kje. 
Božace, što da izmisla. Samo ti si besmrtna, živa voda podzemna, kaj što to nešti. Yeah. Mm-hmm.